How do you make a molecule? Chemical synthesis is the bespoke, often rate-limiting step in the earliest stages of developing new medicines, creating new chemical reagents and catalysts, and inventing other novel materials. The easier and less expensive it is for chemists to synthesize each new molecule, the quicker we can evaluate, iterate, and the faster that whole cycle can crank towards creating better and better compounds. We've talked before on this show about the importance and the limitations of this synthesis barrier, and about the potential for novel machine learning methods to advance drug and materials discoveries. On this episode, we'll meet Alpha and Aaron, two of the three founders of Postera, to discuss their work developing novel machine learning models that have demonstrated significant step change improvements in the state of the art on several chemistry-related and binding prediction machine learning tasks including a model that literally speaks chemistry, and another that leverages the statistics of random matrices to tease the signal from the noise. This is the Tomorrow Scale Podcast. I'm Justin Briggs. The Tomorrow Scale Podcast is a series of conversations with the scientists and entrepreneurs who are building the future. We explore cutting-edge technologies with huge potential, and go deep to understand how these founders and inventors must chart entirely new territory to bring their technology to market. We have discussions on a wide range of scientific frontiers, from life sciences to AI, nanotech and materials, to the very food we eat. And we'll talk about impacts, time horizons, and what's coming next. We'll learn, quite literally, how science fiction becomes reality. This is the Tomorrow Scale Podcast. Let's meet our guests, Dr. Alpha Lee. Hi, Alpha here. Um, so I'm a uh, group leader in the Department of Physics in Cambridge. I was trained as a uh, chemist. My undergraduate training actually started university when I was 15 because I was really excited about chemistry since I was a kid. And after that, I, I did a PhD in mathematics at Oxford, and that's where I met Aaron. After that, I did a postdoc at Harvard doing applied mathematics and machine learning, where I sort of realized that there's a lot in chemistry and drug discovery that mathematics and machine learning can really accelerate. And two years ago, I uh, returned back to the UK, where I now uh, lead a, a research group in machine learning uh, for drug discovery, specifically on how do we make sure and accelerate the synthesis of molecules, how to make sure that molecules can make fast and cheap. Around six months ago, well, now, now than a year ago, time flies, Aaron and I and one of my former students, Matt, uh, co-founded Postera. We aim to use machine learning uh, to accelerate drug discovery, focusing on chemical synthesis and molecular design. And I'm very passionate about uh, drug discovery because I think it is uh, one of those fields where advances can really touch and change human life and, and the, the life of patients. And I think that's a really uh, nice area to be working towards uh, seeing that my research and my science and my uh, training can, can really deliver extremely positive uh, social impact to patients, uh, to the community. And that's why I'm really passionate about um, drug discovery. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Aaron? Uh, I am a mathematician by training, kind of as long as I remember, I've always loved uh, mathematics and its applications. 
I started out in life actually <laughs> wanting to go into professional football, uh, but eventually realized I was probably not as good as I thought I was. So uh, <laughs> mathematics became a, a real interest for me. I, I studied it at university. Uh, and as Alpha mentioned, I kind of got to meet Alpha at Oxford, where we were both studying mathematics. Uh, we also ended up being debating partners for uh, the university. And actually, that, that brings in a, a second area that I've, I've always cared very deeply about, which is being able to communicate science and just broadly complex problems in a very engaging and coherent way. Um, and I know Alpha has some resonance with this, that often academia is not the best place to do that. Um, and ultimately, we came to the conclusion that to take a, a lot of the great work that Alpha had done and to have and to maximize its impact, then a company would be the best vehicle for taking this type of work and making it accessible to the world. So at, at the time, I was in finance. Uh, I went into finance uh, and for five years, I did a mix of machine learning and trading, learned a great amount in that industry. Um, and ultimately decided to uh, give it up and change career and found a company with Alpha and Matt because I guess I saw, uh, as Alpha alluded to, the genuine practical benefits that this could bring to the world, something I felt was possibly a little distance in finance. Um, and personally, I would get to be on the cutting edge of science, developing products and ultimately drugs that will improve human life and uh, personally and finally for me, I guess it was just another important way to challenge my own kind of growth and interests and to kind of disrupt myself. Learning how to run a company is a very different matter to learning how to do maths well. Uh, so that's why I was quite excited about the challenge of founding Postera. Well, thank you both. I'd like to start with what does the name Postera mean? Uh, so the name Postera has two faces, if you will, two interpretations. One is relating just to two words put together, post and era, uh, a new era in our case for drug discovery, something we think that machine learning and analogous technologies have a real chance of doing, moving us into a new era. But also on a more scientific note, one of the uses of our technology um, actually centers around how to measure uncertainty in machine learning predictions. Um, this is incredibly important where the choices you are making as a company, being inspired by the predictions of your models, um, those choices have huge impact both on cost and potential impact to society. So it's really important to understand how confident your model is. There is a particular field of mathematics and machine learning known as um, Bayesian statistics and, and Bayesian inference, and an important concept within the framework of uh, Bayesian statistics is the idea of a posterior or posterior distribution. Mm -hmm. um, that is a kind of key challenge to try and understand and extract values from that posterior distribution, and that also helped inform the name posterior. And what does Postera specifically do in terms of exactly where, what point of the value chain for drug development does it solve? So, as Alpha mentioned, there is a real focus within Postera at figuring out how to make molecules. Um, maybe I'll take a step back a little bit. 
So you can kind of break up drug discovery. The process of finding a new cure to a new disease uh, typically takes between 10 and 12 years, anywhere between $1 and $2 billion, into uh, preclinical and clinical uh, stages. So uh, the clinical stages are where the particular drug candidate is being tested in humans. Uh, the preclinical stage is the R&D stage, uh, the development stage, until you go into human trials. That preclinical stage is where posterior technology is focused. Now, kind of more specifically, within that preclinical stage, you broadly have a process whereby you are designing compounds, then making compounds, and then testing compounds. And that three-step cycle goes on and on until you hopefully converge onto a promising drug candidate that can go into humans. Uh, in the field of drug discovery and AI for drug discovery, a lot of emphasis since kind of around 2012, 2011 has been around, can we design better molecules? Uh, as Alpha mentioned, though, one of the real stumbling blocks within drug discovery in that preclinical stage is, how do we actually make molecules? Or even better, how do we design molecules that we know how to make them? Uh, a lot of the first series of algorithms would just generate compounds that were near impossible to make. And so what's really important and where posterior's focus is unifying that design-make-test cycle. And really, our poster boy technology centers around this idea of, can we design, using machine learning, the, kind of the recipe for making a compound? Uh, and that solution is a very challenging one, but if you can do it, it saves a huge amount of time and cost in that preclinical stage, where typically you're making up to around anywhere between 2,000 and 5,000 molecules before you find something promising enough to go into humans. I've been part of you know quantitative uh, structure activity relationship campaigns in the past, and I've sat in rooms with medicinal chemists, and we've you know looked at structure after structure after structure, and we've evaluated them all along whatever assays they're they're evaluated on in terms of their well, whether they're hits and things like that. It's incredibly bespoke. I'm just trying to lay the foundation for the traditional what you guys are are trying to to turn on its head. I mean, I've sat in that in those rooms and made suggestions where I had no business making those suggestions. There was no reason for, for, for me with my knowledge base to be able to contribute to those conversations. The process of, of the you know, structure activity relationship, whenever you have uh, a, a partner, you're not providing the service as in, we just need these compounds and you make them for us. You are strictly providing the software layer so that, uh, let's say, either the partner themselves or their third parties can make those synthetic molecules. Walk us through the, 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 the kind of the soup to nuts of bringing in a, in a partner. I think the way I would um, see is not medicinal chemistry versus machine learning or men against the machine. I think that's totally not, I think the way I would see it is more what can machine learning do do to augment uh, medicinal chemistry and vice versa, what can human chemistry do to augment algorithms? And I think the strength of strengths of algorithms is a the ability to query or the or the reason with large amounts of data and B it is the ability to just keep cranking at a particular problem with minimal downtime. 
and I will illustrate both points in, in, in the context of services that we offer. So for example, you were to plan a chemical synthesis, um, sure, uh, the, the, the human digital chemist might have really good um, synthetic routes or ideas about synthesis, but what is will be very challenging is to memorize or remember billions of building blocks that are commercially purchasable. Well, that's something the algorithm can do easily. But it's also very difficult to reason through multiplicatively many possibilities how to make a molecule. Think about um, there are many ways to disconnect the, the final molecule, and then there are many ways to disconnect the intermediates, etc. And that quickly explodes again because the computer can just keep churning until you get a solution. That's something computers can do, right? So I think is identifying these multiplicatively hard problems, and the same with reasoning high-dimensional SAR. Like if you have a molecule, multiple molecules, different match pairs, for example, right? For simplicity. Like it becomes an extremely dense network of transformations. And sure, if you do like one functional group change, you can look at SAR, but if you have multiple functional group changes, then how to keep track of all of it, right? And I think that's when algorithm becomes useful. It augments our power. And obviously, MathChem also comes in because, for example, human chemists understands a lot about the essays, understand about the essay conditions, understand about the target chemical profiles, understands specific context about how to do a reaction for example and these are really important insights that adds on to 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 color what the algorithm uh would predict i think it is the synergy between the two that allows posterity to help our clients not replacing one with the other at all i really like how you characterized the augmenting not replacing and i think that's a very important aspect of this in Starting Postera, when you were, um, your prolific early career, you've got the opportunity to establish a, a lab as assistant professor. Talk to us about jumping, going to YC, um, coming to America to do that, and then the, the world kind of blows up. Yeah, I think it's certainly a, a, a very, I think, exciting time to be doing science. I think uh, our technology uh, developed in our group, I believe, tackles a, a pain point in drug discovery, and therefore, um, I, I'm really passionate to see uh, the full extent of, of its impact and therefore um, I formed Postera and, and, and basically leaned very deeply into Postera and also uh, got invited to, to apply to YC and eventually join YC which I think is one of the most exciting experiences in my life being part of a great community of entrepreneurs meeting amazing mentors in YC I think all of our partners have been only super super helpful in, in crafting the the, the posterior vision and helping us find product market fit. And I think, uh, obviously, uh, the Sun and company amid COVID has its own challenges and, uh, and, and, and also excitement. We are mm-hmm. extremely uh, proud of being part of and, and, in fact, launched the COVID Moonshot and initiative and led the initiative of rapidly finding antivirals against COVID, I think, which is a way where we can give back to the community using our technology. Uh, to rapidly prioritize molecules to make and uh, execute synthetic routes uh, rapidly. And within six months, we're able to go all the way from fragments to nanomolar uh, leads, thanks to the community engaging with the medicinal chemistry community, but also because our tools allow for rapid synthesis and we're able to make and test over a thousand molecules. I think it's a, it's a great example of how our technology moves the needle in small molecule drug design and discovery. I was just looking at the tracker. It's up to what, like something like fifteen hundred molecules, thirteen hundred tested, something like that. 
Give us a scale of the scope of the uh, moonshot and, and what groups are involved. Yep, so the moonshot originally started with a uh, Franklin screen done at Oxford and uh, Weizmann Institute in Israel. We, we, we read a tweet, actually, Matt read a tweet from one of the uh, Franklin screeners, and we thought, well, really? there are a lot of fragments spanning the binding site, and we think that we have the technology to turn these fragments into a drug. And so we quickly uh, spun up the Moonshot initiative, which comprised uh, a crowdsourcing phase where we asked medicinal chemists uh, who were at the time working from home, and some still are working from home, to think about what how they merge those fragments together to form a, a potent inhibitor. And then our synthetic tools uh, help to prioritize these fragments, these uh, designs, and send them for synthesis around the world. And now we have over 300 contributors contributing over 10,000 molecules, and assays are done in Oxford, in Weizmann, uh, and synthesis is done at Enamine, uh, Sai, and Wuxi. It's a truly international effort with supercomputing, powers, support from the Folding at Home Consortium. Don't forget that. Motorstone Kettering offering help. I think Folding at Home is now one of the, or is the world's fastest supercomputer reaching exascale um, thanks to the uh, enthusiasm that the community expressed for Moonshot. Incredibly impressive. Having done or, or doing the, the Moonshot and having that kind of open, I guess, open chemistry, kind of open scientific development, um, how does that influence your thinking about the future of Postera and moving programs forward with Postera? I think um, we are really emboldened by the progress of Moonshot and the, as you look to open science philosophy of, of Moonshot. Our, our thinking is, is very much influenced by that in the sense that we realize there's a lot of biotechs and a lot of academics, academic groups, small biotechs out there, uh, which has a lot of interest and perhaps even, may I say, difficulty in accessing and, and realizing synthesis of molecules and just think that if we can develop tools that can help them in reliably making molecules, um, then that would greatly accelerate the whole uh, biotech landscape and remove the needle in, in terms of the whole industry. And, and that's, that's why we are, we are soon going to roll out tools which allows biotechs to quickly uh, synthesize and order molecules and basically making, turning this chemistry part of drug discovery a, a cycle into an industrialized um, process. So as part of that, how do you build Postera? Does it become a integrated kind of medchem and software company, or are you, is your goal to keep it a, 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 an AI company or machine learning company primarily? What does the future of Postera look like? Yeah, I think the first thing I'll, I'll say in that regard is we view ourselves firstly as a a uh, biotech company, and secondly, an AI company. We, we view AI as an incredibly powerful tool to achieve an end goal, which is find cures for diseases, rather than just building AI tools in and of themselves. Um, so I guess that's the first thing I'd say. I think the second thing I will say is, at this point, we're exploring a kind of variety of different business modalities, if you will. So we're operating in kind of three at the minute. Two of them were planned. One of them was not planned. So kind of firstly, we are doing partnerships whereby a a small biotech company or or large pharma company would like to collaborate with Posterior to develop a new drug, uh, typically up up until the preclinical, the end of the preclinical stage. So we take all of our technology, including obviously the synthesis tools, 
and we partner with them to expedite that asset and try and do it in a manner that is more insightful, that is faster and cheaper than traditional methods. Uh, so those kind of deep, deep partnerships is avenue number one. Would you partner on a disease area or on a target or uh, probably not the chemical space? Yep. So it typically um, it typically centers around the kind of the first two combined. So a given target for a given disease. There may be uh, scenarios that we're currently looking at in the future where we work on maybe several programs for a given indication. But to date, Posterior has kind of effectively worked on. Uh, we have a target in mind for a given indication, um, and we would like to develop a small molecule therapeutic. So that's a perfect segue into the the kind of specific technologies. Dr. Lee, you figured out how to speak chemistry. <laughs> the You took a neural translation model and developed what's called the molecular transformer. D- describe to me the, the impetus behind the molecular transformer and a little bit about how it works. Yep. So the molecular transformer, effectively, uh, you can think of molecular transformer as trying to describe chemical reaction and chemistry as, as you alluded to machine translation, where in traditional chemical reaction prediction, algorithmically or even intu- intuitively, you would first think about what class of reaction it belongs to and then look at, well, there are certain heuristics, for example, which you apply to certain kinds of reaction and you apply these heuristical rules onto the reactants and see what might be the product and what might be the probability of success. Molecular transformer took a step back and say, well, obviously, if you have a few reactions that you have access to, then, then you have to use heuristics. However, if you have tens of millions of reactions that you have access to, then maybe you can use machine learning to mine more insights than what you would ordinarily obtain by just staring. And that's what we have done. We basically treat chemistry as a language, in particular reactants and reagents as an input language, and the product as an output language. And we prioritize effectively a machine translation model that translates one language to another. And that model then becomes a reactivity or reaction predictor that we have shown working with folks at Pfizer and other pharma that actually outperforms uh, state-of-the-art by quite a substantial margin. And then using that tool, we can then go the inverse direction, the reverse direction, which is uh, retrosynthesis, given the molecule can be designed a synthetic routes that will take us back to commercially purchasable starting materials. And I love the analogy of the language because, you know, it's when you have a, I guess, a neural language model, it doesn't matter what the language is. You know, it can be English, Chinese, uh, German, what it doesn't matter. Um, it's able to represent the world and you get into that kind of representation question. And in chemistry, this is a very contentious issue because, you know, you know, you get 1D kind of hard, hard-coded features. You got 2D fingerprints like Morgan and Smiles or selfies. You got, you know, more 2 plus D kind of things like molecular graphs and, and some of the physics models and things like that. This was done just doing smiles and was able to reach you know, 90 plus percent. How do the molecular representations impact the model? And I guess what sort of intuitions or which ones do you like better in, in your experience in working with them? Oh, that's a really good question. I think um, representation is an area that you know, we have done a lot of work in and understanding of what representation works. I think we've done quite a lot of work as well on three-dimensional representation, for example, of molecules. I think the reason why smiles work really well, over 90% accurate uh, on chemical reactions is just because of the volume of data. Uh, we have over 10 million reactions harvested from various sources. I think it is that volume of data, which means the model can just process the raw data without any... It can, the model basically can learn chemistry without much pre-processing and without adding too much 
descriptor of future engineering for it. And in bio-determinate prediction, where that's totally not true, we wouldn't have 10 million hits or 10 million molecules screened, then we, we, we think really hard about uh, featureization. For example, is it three-dimensional featureization? How do we capture molecular shapes, etc.? Moving from, I guess, kind of looking at your work, you've, you've got kind of the, the smiles and, and, and then you've moved into more kind of graph neural networks. And there was kind of a, some recent discussion around whether graph neural networks and transformers are really actually the same things. Can you speak to that at all? Um, yep. Um, I think the graph neural network revolution is, or the invention is really interesting. Um, I think it replaces and abstracts. So the Morgan fingerprint or so conventional fingerprint, substructure fingerprint, Heuristic and make it end to end differentiable. And this is really, really uh, interesting. And I think GCNNs and, and works really well when you have a lot of data. I think uh, I think that really the next frontier is both, which we have also worked substantially uh, a lot on, is both about what happens when you don't have a lot of data. And more importantly, which that's what we have published actually, is how do you, when you don't have enough data, which is usually the case in early stage or mid stage. Programs and I mean either you acquire more data or you ask the question can you know what you don't know and that gets back to Aaron's first point about uh, how Posterra as a company name arose which is from the word Posterra distribution in Bayesian statistics and I think that's where we see the next frontier lies because uh, at the end of the day like data is expensive so the best thing to do is know what you know and what you know what you don't know uh, and then use that source of uncertainty to plan experiments. So, for example, you may want to explore chemical space that you don't know yet likely to be fruitful, or you want to avoid chemical spaces you know for sure would not be fruitful. And it's that understanding of uncertainty and risk, and also correlation between risk of different use of synthesizing different molecules, which I think is the next frontier. And that's, I think, what we have been actively researching on, in fact, uh, reflected in some of our academic publications on using Asian deep learning as a way to wrap around how do we make sense of graph neural networks and how do we make optimal use of these modern deep architectures. Talk about the other aspect of medicinal chemistry is not what are you making, but what are you binding to? And the first paper that I, that I read was the, the random matrix theory work that you then did the random matrix discriminant and then moved into the molecular transformer on kind of the synthesis aspect. With RMD, you were able to to achieve 99% ligand binding. How did you stumble into this area? What made you want to apply it to chemistry? Random matrix theory has been used, I think, a lot in uh, finance and data processing, uh, where in finance, issue is how do you look at, how do you understand which stocks are correlated in their performance and use that to balance to find optimal portfolios. And in when I was thinking about drug dis- the problem drug discovery, I realized that um, actually... A lot of what we are intuitively trying to look for are correlations between chemical motifs that are present or absent in the set of molecules that are active. So if you have a set of molecules that are known to be active, then as a chemist, you're looking for which motifs are always correlated in their presence or correlated in their absence in that basket of active molecules. And one key fact is that you, you often don't have enough molecules to actually estimate these correlations in a statistically robust way. And that's where the link between random matrix theory and and, and and chemistry comes in, is how do we make sense of which correlations are real and which correlations are fake. And then random matrix theory provides a very 
a nice framework in basically saying that、uh, everything is random unless previously ascertained, and that provides a、uh, the ultimate pessimist view.、Uh, but I think it's really realistic view, which is、uh, every correlation is serious unless otherwise confirmed. And we、uh, just translated philosophy back into chemistry, and that yields quite of interesting、uh, results, which has been prospectively validated in that PMAS paper. As you build a company, you're living in an era of incredible amounts of uncertainty. That's something that you deal with, and just elegantly described how you address that from a model perspective. How do you deal with that uncertainty from a company perspective? Uncertainty in the business model, uncertainty in the the market itself.、Um, how do you deal with uncertainty not from the technology side, but from the from the business side? Yeah, I think it's important from the business side to maintain flexibility. Practically, what that means is. You want to be in a cash position that allows you to effectively pivot and change and try ideas and explore things until you find an optimal solution. You can you can actually kind of think about it as a almost gradient descent problem where you're trying to find the kind of local minima or maxima of a kind of business surface of opportunities, <laughs> and you just have to kind of like keep iterating away. Moving in different directions down the steepest gradient until you end up at the optimal point. That that's a little bit maybe、um, overly complicated. What we're trying to do at first era, but ultimately we are believers at this point of the company to maintain where we can positive cash flow,、uh, which which we expect this year.、Uh, we also, I think, are consistently trying to find mentors and people who can challenge our thinking. As as Alpha mentioned, I think Y Combinator was a particularly great example of. Guiding us with a, a lot of years of experience under their belt,、um, and then I think、uh, the, the third thing that I would say is, if you go out there and try and build the dream product and hope that people like it, I find that that particular approach is far less better than starting with a reasonable product and getting the users and the clients to guide you as to your development process. So, so we want the market to direct the focus of Postera, and ultimately, particularly when it comes to the platform and the machine learning tools we're rolling out, what is most useful for them. So, I guess th- those are kind of three things that we hope kind of keep us nimble amidst the uncertainty you describe. What would you say the things to kind of go back to the the YC? And I think it's really interesting how they've brought in more companies like yourselves. And I've had the opportunity to talk with a couple that are、um, kind of off on their own islands. How did you feel going through the the Y Combinator program? Did you feel like you were on an island? Did you feel well、uh, supported as a kind of a a, a biotech com- company going through a Y Combinator? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think. Particularly as founders,、uh, Alpha Matt and myself、uh, certainly were very flattered when we were invited to to join Y Combinator, but we're also aware that it is traditionally known for building great software companies.、Um, however, they really have taken some really important steps to provide the support that you need. So they've brought on particular partners that are like well experienced drug hunters.、Uh, they have specific. Talks and seminars centered around the business model of a biotech, as opposed to the business model of a SaaS company. And so, I believe that Y Combinator,、uh, during our batch, were kind of the largest biotech incubator、uh, in, in the world by number, at least. <laughs> so they've really gone. They've really gone a long way, and 
we had plenty of fellow entrepreneurs who were in the biotech scene who we regularly speak to today because of, of, of YC. So um, they're still learning. They're still trying things out for the biotech community, but we, we certainly felt supported and we were certainly not like the black sheep among the companies there. The issues that you'll face as you scale, you get, as you talked about, you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions, trying to find the product market fit. And I've seen a lot of companies with the types of technologies that you have, they've created these kind of small spin-outs where they'll part out an asset or something like that. Is that something you guys are contemplating? I think the, the point you're making is, is incredibly important and something we have spent time. And I guess for, for any listeners out there, the, the problem you have as a technology-driven company operating in their drug discovery stages, the value of drug discovery is in the drug, undoubtedly, which means if you want to grow your company, you need to get access to those drugs. However, if you just own a drug yourself, nobody will care about your technology anymore because all of the value and all of the time and capital is invested in getting that asset to the next stage of clinical development. And so what we're in Silicon and Kirsch and the others are doing is saying, well, can we find a way to protect the platform, protect the technology, while also benefiting from the actual equity in assets? And a very natural way to go about that is to spin out subsidiaries um, or to set up certain type of company structures that allows for that division between platform and asset. And so it is absolutely something that Posterior is thinking about. And it's absolutely something that we will be planning for in the future. As I said, we're still relatively early stage. But as we kind of get to a point where we have a fully integrated platform, then we will look the best way to structure that type of setup. When you have a number of clients that are coming coming to you, you're going to them. What are the clients? kind of clients that are in your sweet spot of, of where you are as a company? Typically, the smaller midsize where they've got a compound and they're looking to make sure that that's the right compound for the target. And so kind of perturbatory looking at other variations, or is it more, we've got a target that we really know we need to hit and we've got, you know, big data sets against it. What's the right customer for you guys as a company right now? So I guess as far as the partnership goes, we, as Alpha mentioned, have put a lot of time and effort in being enabled to use models that can deal with small data, uh, noisy data, and the general low data limit. So we, when a client comes to us, we do not need thousands of compounds in order to make progress. We do require that they have a target in mind. Our target ideas is not something that Posterior is focused on right now. So, so long as they have a target, we can actually um, begin to work with them from that point when they've run their first early preliminary assays. Uh, that, that's actually something we're doing with some clients at the minute. And we can go all the way to the other end. And this typically happens with you know larger, more established companies that have multiple programs going on. And they, they will have uh, up to several hundreds, even a thousand compounds tested. Um, and they're looking to not just optimize for one endpoint, such as potency, they're looking to optimize for the kind of variety of desirable properties that a compound should have, whether it's uh, ADME or any other particular kind of like endpoint beyond potency. So then the challenge becomes, how do you take all of this data and do this type of like multi-objective um, optimization problem? Uh, so those are the two different kind of camps, if you will, that we deal with that are very, very well suited. So you're broadly talking kind of hit to hit to lead and lead optimization in, in this typical terminology. Assuming a number of things, 
happen. <laughs> and we fast forward and you end up in this future where you have kind of, um, I hate to call it a post-chemistry world. Preparation, I went back to the, the, the unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics and the natural sciences. And he's got this wonderful quote. You know, he says, we're in a position similar to that of a man who was provided with a bunch of keys and who, having to open several doors in succession, always hit on the right key on the first or second trial. He became skeptical concerning the uniqueness of the coordination between the keys and the doors. Five, ten years from now, are we at risk of being that, that man in the hallway? Uh, I'm going to alpha take that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, one thing that is quite wonderful about natural sciences is that I think the horizon and the bar just keep rising. And I think that's what we see with math and physics. I think well, we have unlocked a lot of doors, but I think each door we unlock, we see even more doors to unlock. I think that's part of the beauty of it is that the, 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 the higher you go, the more, the, the more sophisticated you become, the more you realize that there is still more to do. Um, and I think that's certainly true for math and science and computing that uh, we have not reached peak AI at all. Uh, AI has not taken over humans at all. In fact, humans becomes, we, we, we as a species become more and more, well, we live healthier, longer and happier lives because of computing. I think that that's the same for, uh, for chemistry and drug discovery. At least that's my vision is that as, as we penetrate deeper deep and deeper in the chemical space and develop the technologies that can make drugs faster and easier, we will, for example, open up uh, more biology, more areas of biology we can explore. Think of all the chemical probes that could be discovered but is not discovered and how many more mechanisms and pathways we can uncover by having these chemical probes being able to be synthesized, predicted and synthesized cheap and quick. And that opens up even more pathways we can investigate. I think that's the beauty and excitement of science. And as a scientist, I'm absolutely thrilled and looked by by this prospect. Awesome. Well, good luck separating the signal from the noise, both from the technology side and from the business side. Thank you guys both for, for taking the time today and to share a little bit about Postera and all the great work with your COVID Moonshot and the Molecular Transformer, Random Matrix Discriminant, and a lot of the other work, as well as some of the work that hopefully you'll be disclosing in the next few months and years. Thank you guys for taking the time. Appreciate it. Thank you again, Justin. Hi. This is the Tomorrow Scale Podcast. I'm Justin Briggs. 